We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? While we study do not be unequally yoked, it is very important to understand that the Bible is not saying that believers are better than unbelievers. That somehow believers are superior to those that do not believe in Jesus. Jesus loves the unbelieving and the believing alike. He died for believers and for unbelievers. But the point here of this passage, when we get down to it, is that we're going in a different direction than those that don't believe in God. So it's not a matter of superiority, it's a matter of direction. That we are living for Jesus as Lord, we're following him. So it makes sense that we would not bind ourselves to anyone that's not following Jesus. No, they're not going the same way that we're going. We're not following the same Lord. If you were to pick up a hitchhiker, which is a little sketchy, maybe not really sketchy, depending on the hitchhiker, entertain angels every once in a while, and he was like, here, and you're going that way, and then you, you picked him up and you did a U-turn. You'd say, wait a second, I, I was hitchhiking going that direction, right? It doesn't make any sense. I, you're taking me backwards. I walked all those miles. It's not a matter of superiority, it's a matter of direction, that you and I are following Jesus, so we're not to be joined together in a yoked manner with anybody who does not believe in Jesus as Lord. The apostle is using an analogy, isn't he? And let's think about that analogy, because most of us don't grow a lot of our own food, and I don't know if there's any of us that plow with an ox. We have tractors. And so he is using an example, he's using an analogy that we're really not that familiar with. So let's learn about the example, learn about the analogy so we can apply the principle to our lives. When the Bible says yoked, isn't it speaking of direction and drive? There were two oxen, sometimes more, joined together with a wooden apparatus over their, their shoulders and there wasn't a lot of flexibility. They needed to be in unison. They were pulling the plow. Their direction needed to be in sync so that the rows would be straight in that farm, on that farm, in that garden. The power on both the right and the left, pulling equally, keeping that straight line. So each of the oxen had to have the same sense of straightness. Not only is it a matter of direction, but it's a matter of drive or force, isn't it? So if there was a lazy ox, it'd make it a lot more difficult for the strong ox, right, to pull in a straight manner because they'd have to make it for that lack of drive and they'd fall behind quickly and they'd get off course. Yoked is not just a matter of direction and drive. It's also a matter of labor. Consider the work. There's a plow behind the oxen. And the farmer would do his best to keep that plow down in the soil. And then the ox and the oxen would pull that plow and it would unearth the rocks and break up the dirt. Tons of work for the ox. They weren't just hanging out together. They were working together. You couldn't have one of them just be along for the ride. 
so to speak. So it definitely was a matter of labor. But do you know this about oxen? That a well-trained oxen actually loves to drive, loves to pull, the same way that a well-trained queens and healer likes to herd, or a well-trained Labrador retriever likes to fetch, right? They, they love what they're doing. It's what they're built to do. So it is labor, but it's a matter of love. To put it in the manner of Psalm 100, they're serving with gladness. I'm not saying they never grunt, but what they're doing, they're, they're built for. So they're laboring, and they're laboring in love. So when the word here speaks about being unequally yoked, there's this picture of the oxen pulling together in unison, straight and strong, loving what they're doing, laboring hard together. So I'll ask you a series of questions. To whom are you yoked? Some say that Paul is simply warning the Corinthians, don't participate in pagan worship rituals. Now, certainly they shouldn't participate in those, but the warning here is more than that because the context is one of labor, isn't it? It's one of serving. It's one of working together. The last chapter was about our motivation for service. And here as it speaks of yoked, it has everything to do with working, with moving. Look at the close relationship that's described. Look at the words. I see fellowship. I see communion. I see accord. That when we work together, we are a part of one another. Do you see that? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? So worship is not just a ritual. Worship includes our service with God and to God. And we are those oxen that are called to obey. And if we're strapped to the obstinate, it's going to be a huge detriment to us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the warning is to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for the labor of our lives, for the purpose of our lives, in our endeavors, our affections. So we shouldn't make it too narrow and say this is just about not participating in, in rituals. It's our whole lives. Aren't we to spend our lives plowing in the field of the Lord? Aren't we to spend our lives on his plan for us? So as we think about what it means to be unequally yoked, we should definitely consider the big picture of our lives and, and where we're going, what our goals are, who we're living to please. But we should also think this, that our big decisions are made up of small everyday choices, aren't they? We could say, sometimes say, well, this isn't major. But when you look at your life, even your small choices point towards what your goals and your affections really are. Pull with people who are ardently following Jesus. Your life will be straighter and stronger. You'll be pulling in a way that's pleasing to God. Do you find yourself deferring to the norm instead of following the word? then that means that there's some amount of, of yoking going on. Your life can take direction even if you're not making conscious choices. Have you had that happen before? You're not even necessarily making a point to pursue something, but because of who you're around and because of who you're with, who you're working with, who you spend your time with, 
You don't even have to necessarily say yes or no. You can be just along for the ride, and soon other people's priorities can become yours. Their priorities take precedent over God's, and you ask yourself, how did I get here? Sometimes it's because we're unequally yoked. The Word says that sin easily entangles us. And even though there are those who may profess around us, if they're not living for Jesus as Lord, don't be yoked with them. So let's look at some specific applications of being unequally yoked. This passage is often applied to marriage, and it should be. If, if you're married, then you're automatically yoked to that person. It's not as though you can say, well, I'm married to them, but I'm not yoked to them. Because God tells us the truth that husband and wife are one flesh. So it's as closely as you can be yoked in this life to another person, marriage. In other areas like friendship or business, you can have a connection but not necessarily a tight yoking, but you can't say that for marriage. A divided home is a disaster. One wants to serve God, the other wants to serve self. One is after the glory of God, the other is after the pleasures to fulfill their own sin, aren't they? So the strong ox gets tired and starts wandering with the unbelieving at times. It's a mess. And our experience tells us that being unequally yoked in the context of marriage is, is wrong. When will we start to take God at his word and believe what he tells us? You've seen it before. I feel like I've seen it way too much. People will do almost anything to get the person they like to marry them. They, they'll do almost anything. Guys, I'll say that especially, they'll do almost anything. They'll say almost anything, show up almost anywhere, even serve, jump through some hoops. And the reality is sometimes it's, it's not really a believer. So this is a great idea. I had this idea. What if that person were plowing before you even met them? What if that person were serving before you even knew them? Before they even knew that you were following Jesus, they were following Jesus. Wouldn't that be a pretty good indicator that they were really a strong ox that you would unite yourself with? But you don't know how many times, or maybe you do, where it's like, hey, guess what? I can be the guy you want me to be. I can do everything you want me to do. I'll start plowing right now. If The person is not serving God when you meet them. Tell them no, go away, come back some other day. Listen to God instead of how much you like them or how they make you feel or thinking, you know, I'm going to get passed by and, and left with no one. No one would be better than that someone. And it's not really that difficult to determine if a person is plowing with diligence, is it? But in the context of a relationship that could be moving towards marriage, all of a sudden everything gets a lot more cloudy. It's not hard to tell if somebody's living for the Lord or not. What's the fruit of their ministry, their service? How about their church? How about their family? What are they, what are they saying about them? There's a big difference between how a person talks and how they toil at times, their lip service compared to their labor. Actually, many times the believer wants the unbeliever so badly that they purposefully stay blind to the truth of 
who they are. It's become a, a real problem. Do you think Satan knows that being unequally yoked is against God's design? It's against his commands? Of course he does. So he often tempts people with, with just this. And, and I have to believe, I see that the world is becoming a lot more complicated because now you can believe what's, you know, somebody's profile. I've even seen people that say, you know, I, I really like her picture, but in person I don't like her that much. Well, the in person is the real thing, right? And their profile is not real. What they say about themselves isn't necessarily real. So this being unequally yoked is clearly for marriage one, in one of the ways. Ask for guidance from God, for clear eyes. Ask for advice from those who are strong in the Lord, not just your peers, because the enemy starts working on destroying marriages even before those marriages exist. When we see in the word that God says, do not be unequally yoked, do we see that as his mercy? Do we see that as his love for us? Or do we see it as God trying to keep us from some precious, wonderful relationship? This, it's God's mercy for sure, isn't it? God's saying, no, I, I know what's best for you. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Let's consider another area, friendships. You might think that unequally yoked can't apply to friendships, but you work with your friends. You work at something, don't you? You might consider it only play, but you work at playing. You have the same passions, the same interests, the same music, the same movies, the same places, the same classes. You share conversations. And real friends speak the truth in love. Your real friends know how you're really doing. And if you're growing in the Lord, or you're shriveling or shrinking back, they know, they know your service to the Lord. Why would you want to train your kids alongside someone who, who doesn't follow Jesus? Why would you want to raise your kids up in the context of somebody who doesn't put Jesus first? I see these words that are in the scripture like agreement and in one accord. Is the Bible saying that we shouldn't have non-believing friends at all? No, it's not saying that. But it's saying for your drive, for your direction, for your love, for your labor, that's what the plow is. Your very best friends, your closest friends, should be those who are believers, who follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Bad company corrupts good morals. The Lord will speak honestly with us about the effect of our friends, won't he? The question is, will we listen? Or have we gotten so accustomed to being drugged down that we don't think it's a detriment anymore? If you're not pulling the plow that, that much, maybe it's because you're yoked with someone who isn't serving the Lord at all. Cut those ties. How about business? That's another area. Why would we be yoked with those who have a completely different value system? Why would you yoke yourself to somebody who has a completely different worldview? They have a different bottom line than you do. Their bottom line might be profit, and your bottom line is the glory of God. Now, I realize we're going to do business with and around unbelievers to some extent throughout our lives. But you know when it starts to take away your ability to make a godly decision? When you're contracted with somebody 
and now you can't make the just decision or you can't make the merciful decision because it's connected to them also, so you have to have their approval. And that sort of situation, stay out of a business partnership where the person doesn't follow Jesus. They have a completely different way of seeing life, a completely different direction. Don't be unequally yoked. We may start to think, well, I'm following Jesus, and they're just neutral, so everything will be fine. Look at the third question. It's in verse 15. It says there, it it mentions Belial, and Belial is mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls writings multiple times, and also in some of the intertestamental writings. And every time that name is associated with the chief of demons, Satan. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. So sometimes we can justify the way we yoke ourselves to people and say, well, they're not really bad. They're just okay. And if I'm living for Jesus and they're just okay, everything will turn out all right. But the Bible makes it clear here that that's union with darkness. And complete light removes darkness. Where the true light shines, darkness cannot remain. So this idea that we're going to live in the shadows, a mix of light and darkness, is just foolishness. The light of God banishes the darkness. Walk in the light. Don't be yoked with those who are in darkness. Shine the light of Christ to them that they would receive salvation. So now let's look at verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul's quotation is a paraphrase of Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, and Ezekiel 37, 26 through 27. So I ask you this question now, second question, are you separated? Do you see where the Bible says be separate? even says come out come out from among them, those aren't commands that we hear a lot about, even though they're right here in the word of God. Be separate from the world. Be separate from unbelievers. We tend to think that people are one to Christ when we're like them. In fact, much of the church in America is built around the idea that the more we can be like the the unbelieving without displeasing the Lord, that's what's going to win them to to Christ. But look what the word says here, that when we're separate, when we're more like Jesus, when we're distinct, when we're holy, we'll get into that in chapter 7, verse 1, when we're very different, to say the least, that that is part of what God uses. He says, be separate from them. When Jesus walked this earth during his earthly ministry, did, did people come to him? Did they flock to him? Did they gather around him because he was like them? Not at all. 
He was way different than anyone they had ever seen or ever known. his, His love, his compassion, his truth was so distinct. It was so separate. But we have this desire in the flesh to fit in to the context of what the world is like. And we know fitting into this world isn't a good thing, so God lights and still be separate, right? A wonderful way for us to give the love of God and to make sure people know who Jesus is without being in the mud with them. The Lord says here, don't touch. We don't have to be handling the sins of the world in order to see people be saved. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Very clear. Make sure that your life is distinct, that it's separate, that it doesn't blend in with the ways of the unbelievers. Don't be afraid to stand out for the Lord. Come out from among them. And make sure that you're standing in the truth and with the grace of Christ. So are you separated? Number three, are you the prepared dwelling of the Lord? Did you see that there in this passage? God says to you, believer, he says to you, Christian, I will dwell in them. He's saying that about us. God wants a clean house. And as a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He doesn't live in temples made with the hands of men. He dwells in his children. So how can we have a strong connection to the world, a yoke-like relationship with the unbelieving, with the Lord living in us? How can our direction come from the Lord of the house and those who are opposed to the Lord of the house are yoked to us? Be the prepared dwelling of the Lord. God, you, you bought me. And now I'm yours. You live in me. I want it to be clean. I want it to be comfortable for the king. Not comfortable for me. By his power and by his spirit. Are you the prepared dwelling of the Lord? That is the light of God shining through our lives. And that's what the unbelieving world needs to see. That we're the dwelling of the Most High God. You know those people? They have God Almighty dwelling in them. He's overflowing from them. They live separate lives in many ways. In ways of truth. But they are the dwelling place of the Lord. Number four, moving through the questions quickly. Are you walking with the Lord? Did you see in the text that he's not? Sometimes they're comfortable. Sometimes they're restful for us. Sometimes they're not. But the Lord is not the kind of home that we, you know, go to and then move away from. Because look, it says he walks with us. He walks among us, step by step, moment by moment, to be yoked with the Lord himself, to be yoked with those who are also yoked with him. Jesus taught, he said, my yoke is easy. Same word, same truth. Are you yoked with me? If you're yoked with me, it's not going to be a struggle because you're in my spirit, you're in my strength. My yoke is easy. Not that he won't bring you through difficult times, but there is a power in living for Jesus and with Jesus. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The ways of the world are heavy. They're dark. They're weighty. That's true difficulty. But walking with the Lord, 
My burden is light. When we're yoked with unbelievers, we get bogged down in that heaviness. Are you walking with the Lord? Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And the answer is no. They, they can't walk side by side unless they're moving in the same direction, unless they're together, shoulder to shoulder. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's the walk again, day by day, moment by moment. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So if you're abiding in Jesus, you ought to walk just as Jesus walked. That is reaching the loss, isn't it? If we can walk as Jesus has walked, in his strength, by his power, what's better than that as far as being a wonderful example and delivering the truth of the gospel to the unbelieving? Question number five, I can't help but notice, are you mindful of belonging to God? Look at all the phrases here that speak of who we belong to. He says, I will be their God. I shall be a father to you. Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price was extremely expensive. And now you belong to Jesus because he gave his life to forgive you of your sins. So when we yoke ourselves to unbelievers, we're giving away something that doesn't even belong to us. We're giving away that which Jesus purchased. We're giving it away to follow the ways of, of darkness. We're taking our lives back from Jesus. That should be unthinkable to us. Our belonging. We belong to the Lord. John 17, 6. Jesus praying, saying to the Father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Speaking of, of the disciples. It says in the first book of Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 23, And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Just as the Father belongs, the Son belongs to the Father, you and I, living in the Lordship, believing in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, belong to Jesus. So don't be unequally yoked because you belong to Christ. We struggle with being a light to the world, but not being yoked to the world. But in fact, we can't be a light if we are unequally yoked. We struggle with being a witness and not compromising. At least that's the way we put it. But the word makes it clear that when we compromise, that we're not the light that we should be. I think of the song that I learned when I was young that says, this little light of mine. And then you, the favorite part of every kid is the no part, because kids like to say no. It says, hide it under a bushel. And they go, no, because that's their license to say no. I'm going to let it shine. The shining of our lives. We think, well, if, there's, if, if compromise doesn't shine the light, wandering doesn't shine the light, belonging to the Lord and making it clear to people that you're his tabernacle. That shines the light 
of the Lord to the Lord. Believers are in our company and they know that God lives in us and that we belong to him, that we're his dwelling place. That draws people to the light of the Lord. It's walking with him that woos the lost to follow him too. In practicing this, it's, it really is a matter of balance, isn't it? Where, where we want to have contact. Because if we don't have contact, if all, if all the people we know are, are saved, then how are we going to share the gospel, right? We, I don't talk to anybody who's really not saved very much, right? But then at the same time, you get in there with people who aren't believers, and it doesn't become about Jesus really, really quickly, and pretty soon you find yourself just meeting them on their turf, and it's not about the good news. It's just about making a little buddy for yourself. And so that intentional, I'm going to look for ways to make sure that they know where I stand, who I am, who I belong to, and that they too can belong to the Lord. The way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we treat our, our family members, all of that, that shines. But this being separate, it's interesting to me that we think of being separate as being aloof or it being abrupt or it being, it wouldn't draw people in. But think about it. People that are somewhat mysterious are attractive. Isn't that true? Like you don't know for sure what's going on. You're like, they're, they're, they're not like other people. There's something there. Let that something be a someone, be Christ, so that you can share the grace that he gave to you. Lord, I'm your sanctuary because your word tells me that I am. As I am gathered together this evening with my brothers and sisters, you're dwelling in their lives, and we want you to Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us to be those distinct, separate, shining lights for your glory. Work in us. Give us your holiness, Lord, because we don't have our own. Help us to, to submit each moment to you to say, Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. Not that holiness would be condescending at all, but that it would be you living through us. Lord, we come and, and we realize that many times we've, we've wandered and we've come back and you've been faithful. We've confessed our sins and you've been that just one to forgive us because you've given your life on the cross. So I pray that, that we would be just what you want us to be, Lord. Separate but strong, full of your light loving those that you love, that they would come in to the kingdom. In your great name, Jesus, amen.